Hey, what's up, everybody? Let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helly is super excited to welcome Domino's Hawaii aboard as the title sponsor of the podcast. Speaking on behalf of Domino's Hawaii, we want to thank our entire team for their efforts in staying safe, keeping sanitized, and working hard to serve you, our neighbors, during these trying times. As a locally owned company, we know there are people looking for work, and Domino's Hawaii is hiring as many in our community as we can right now. We want to thank you, the customers, for your continued trust. And until this quarantine ends, Domino's Hawaii is offering free delivery to help keep everyone safe and at home. We're all in this together, so take care out there, and we look forward to the next big sporting event where we can all gather and celebrate as one. All right, let's talk sports. Hey, what's up, Jordan? Uh, really excited here. We got one of our good buddies who's going to be joining us on the show. He is the guy, if anyone who is listening is familiar with our radio show, uh, this is the guy we always called our resident football guru. It is Rich Miano, played over a decade in the NFL, a University of Hawaii alum, an analyst on television for both high school and college football called University of Hawaii Telecasts on Spectrum Sports. Uh, and a guy who's also the executive director of the Hula Bowl. So he has seen the game from all kinds of different angles. And so we trust his judgment when it comes to a discussion about football, but particularly on the heels of the NFL draft. We'll take a look at the NFL draft through the prism of the Hawaii guys or guys with Hawaii ties who were selected and will now be getting an opportunity at the next level. And we'll have Rich Miano to help us do that. Yeah, there's no better person to, to break down the draft from that angle, right? From the Hawaii angle and in, in everything that he, uh, he does. I don't know how many hats he wears these days and just all the different roles that he has. One of them, of course, kind of mentoring a lot of these young guys as they come through as an NFL vet that he is. So I'm excited to talk story with Rich. More people watch the NFL draft this time around than ever before. It was like a 35% increase. It was like 55 million viewers uh, throughout the three days. Uh, and so this was because there are no live sports. This was a major sporting event. And people definitely were uh, drawn to this thing as they have been to the first couple of weekends of the docuseries, The Last Dance. And a reminder, we're doing a little side project where we're breaking down each week the two episodes that debut uh, with our LTS quick snaps. And so you can check that out as well. We'll be breaking down episodes three and four of The Last Dance Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls docu-series. So uh, check that out there. And again, if you have any questions, comments on Twitter, at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or our new Twitter account, at TalkSports808. All right, the warm-up here. We watched three days of draft coverage, and what is also, uh, or what is always funny to me is the repetition that tends to be a tradition when it comes to draft coverage, really in any sport, but it is magnified because the NFL draft is such a big deal. But what do you think the phrase or word that was mentioned most was during draft coverage, in your opinion? Well, everything's got to be a fit, right? We're talking about scheme. I think that plays out time and time again, uh, especially with the specialization of, of a lot of these teams and what they're doing on offense, what they're doing on defense. So th this – this particular player is a great fit, or he's not quite the fit that we thought he was going to be, but possibly could play a different position. Uh, and, and whether he fits into so-and-so's scheme, they bring in so-and-so to be the new defensive coordinator. What's his scheme going to look like? Uh, so it's all about fit and scheme. 
Yeah, fit scheme. Uh, there's always the discussion of upside. Upside is big. And you want to have a good upside. You definitely don't want to have a downside, uh, if at all possible. Uh, but even within those discussions, there's always a word that seems to come up. I think the most ubiquitous of all the words or phrases in NFL draft coverage, and that's the word guy. It's always, here's a guy. You're talking about a guy. Hey, Trey, we're talking about a 4-5-40 guy here. This is a guy that the fans are really going to love. This guy puts in work. Yeah, it's all about guy. It's never dude or anything else, right? It's always guy. Like, here's a guy, three-year starter, Trey, immediate impact type of guy, potentially, but at least a plug-and-play guy, a guy that the fans are going to get excited about, that they're going to love. They're in Atlanta. I don't, it's, it's always guy. It's never dude or, or anything else. I, I don't know why a guy is the, the moniker, but uh, I say it all the time, too. I would love to hear the local Pigeon English version of the draft where it's like, this brother right here, this is a 4-5-40 brother. This guy, oh, brah, he go. Like, I would love to hear that. Uh, but it was a pretty tremendous accomplishment overall. As we mentioned in our last episode, we were able to break down the pick that was Tua Tonga-Vailoa at number five for the Miami Dolphins, as well as the rest of our first round observations. Uh, and so we'll focus on some of the Hawaii-related picks since that first round, on the last two days of draft coverage, UH quarterback Cole McDonald, as we start with some of the bows trying to go to the pros here, uh, drafted in the seventh round, 244th overall by the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Roe Ferris, defensive back, has a lot of speed for sure. He received a free agent deal with the Atlanta Falcons. JoJo Ward, he got a free agent deal with the Arizona Cardinals. And you had uh, several other Hawaii guys who were drafted uh, Kahuku and Utah defensive end Bradley Anai selected by the Cowboys with the last pick in the fifth round. Uh, two picks later, Lelehua standout Fresno State guard Netani Muti was taken by the Broncos in the sixth round. Uh, and then Alohi Gilman taken 186th overall uh, in that sixth round. He is a Kahuku, Navy, and Notre Dame alum, uh, and he was taken by the Chargers. So within eight spots, you had three Hawaii players who were selected. Uh, you also had a free agent signing for LSU's Braden Fehoko out of Farrington. Uh, but of all of those stories, what was the story of, of these Hawaii guys that you think uh, resonated the most? Yeah, you know, I, all three of the, the local kids, the, the, the Hawaii high schoolers, if you will, the Tukahuku graduates, and then, of course, Muti out of Lelehua, they, they all went a little later than I thought they were going to. And they, they all went a little later than a lot of the, the mock drafts and prognostications had them at. Uh, some slightly, some like a Bradley and I who, you know, was looking like a, a second, third round pick. And then all of a sudden he goes just barely in the fifth round. And, and, and then all of a sudden they all go within eight picks of each other. It was kind of crazy. Uh, I was like, man, these guys are still on the board. And then I gets picked. And then, you know, eight picks later, all three of them are, are selected. And I think especially a guy like Bradley and I, right. The, the production that he had at Utah. And I know he doesn't check a lot of the boxes when it comes to just the combine numbers and stats like that. Uh, but he had a really good senior bowl, uh, and I was surprised to see him go that low. And I think the the Cowboys really got a steal. Yeah, I would say that that was the one that stood out the most, just because he is an absolute stud, and the proof is in the pudding. Finished with a school record 30 sacks in his career at 13 last season. The guy's just an all-out beast. And I think this is one of those situations that you often see as it pertains to the NFL draft, where sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees. Sometimes I feel like we let – the outer stuff and, and the measurements and trying to compare these guys to prototypical NFL talents, you kind of let that get in the way. And, and that explains maybe the reason why a guy like Bradley and I drops like that. The Cowboys got a stud. I think there's no two ways about it. What did you think about the landing spot for Cole McDonald in Tennessee? 
You know, I actually think it's a pretty good one. I think a lot of what he does well as a quarterback matches up with what the Titans want to do from a philosophical standpoint on the offensive side of the football. They love to get Ryan Tannehill on the move. They love to get him outside the pocket, change the launch point because he is big, because he is athletic. And then he's got a big arm that can stretch the defense via play action. And that's where they made a lot of their money last year for Tennessee once he took over as the starter from Marcus Mariota, right? They saddled up Derrick Henry. We know that. I, I imagine they're going to do a bit of that again this season. Um, but they've got a lot of their production via play action and the big play passing game with a lot of those speedy receivers and athletic tight ends. And I think Cole McDonald is a guy that fits that bill. He is a guy that is big and athletic, that does well getting outside the pocket, does well on the move. Uh, and he's a guy who's got a big arm that can stretch the defense. We saw that a lot in the University of Hawaii's offense. So he kind of fits that mold. He's very Ryan Tannehill-ish in a lot of his skill sets. So I think it's a good fit, the fact that they really only have Tannehill. They've got Logan, what is it, Woodside out of Toledo, second, third year. Uh, exactly, I think a lot of people at home thinking, who? Uh, so I, I do think there's a little bit a legitimate chance that he can go out there and win that backup job, uh, doing a lot of the same things that Ryan Tannehill does and a chance to go sit and learn uh, from one of the veterans in the league. I agree with you. I like the landing spot, and we definitely wish uh, Cole the best. Although they did say on the draft uh, coverage that his nickname was C-Money, and that's the first I've ever heard of that. I was going to ask you, because I had never heard anybody here, at least, uh, in Hawaii call him that. Yeah, no, and his nickname actually is China. And right? the reason for that is because of a particular route, and there's like a story behind it of when he was first trying to figure out what that route was and making the correct throw. And so that became his nickname pretty early on. And so everyone refers to Cole McDonald as China, but ESPN went with C Money, which was the first I've ever heard of that. But hey, whatever works. Uh, any other observations, thoughts on the draft, or maybe a particular team that you thought did well here throughout? Yeah, you know, I thought there were a few teams, and I don't know if maybe teams just didn't overthink it this year because they, they, they had to break it down to a bare bones. I thought the Cardinals did really well. I like Isaiah Simmons as their first-round pick. Uh, I thought what they did on the defensive side of the football, Lecky Fultu, the D-tackle out of Utah. Then they got Evan Weaver in, like, the sixth round, who led the Pac-12 in tackles as a linebacker. I thought was a really good pick. I, the Ravens, they do what they do. I think they just filled need after need, and they, they did a great job. Uh, uh, doing what they did uh, with Pat Queen as their first-round pick. I really like Justin Matabuike, their defensive tackle out of Mississippi State. I thought the Cowboys and the Browns also had good drafts, right? Two teams that we kind of like to kick while they're down and, and you know, what the Cowboys did with CeeDee Lamb and Trevon Diggs, uh, getting those guys early. But the Browns, I thought they really were sound in their draft philosophy with the the tackle from Alabama early, Grant Delpit, the safety out of – LSU is kind of a playmaker. Then they got Jacob Phillips, the linebacker, who actually led that star-studded LSU defense in tackles. So I, I think the Browns, actually, I'll, I'll kind of end on that note, had themselves a nice three days over the course of the draft and, and helped themselves out as they try to turn the corner and uh, create some stability there in Cleveland. We have to revisit this topic and just sort of close the book on this. Drew Bugs, point guard, or now former point guard for the University of Hawaii, uh, he decides to enter the transfer portal, and it is now official. He has announced he chooses Missouri. So he is going to play in the SEC. Uh, we mentioned Conzo Martin is the head coach there. Used to be the head coach at Cal. You wonder if maybe he got a shot of Drew Bugs back in his high school days out of Long Beach Poly, and maybe that's something that stuck with him in this recruiting process. Uh, but he goes to a Missouri team that has a couple of point guards, maybe a more crowded backcourt potentially than what would have been the case if he had gone to Iowa State or LMU, which were the other two finalists in this. Uh, any surprise that Drew Bugs landed on Missouri? Drew going to Mizzou. 
Yeah, a, a little bit, honestly. If you had to power rank, or if I had to power rank uh, after the, fi- uh, the our previous podcast in figuring out, okay, where's he going to go, right? The family ties to Iowa State, the proximity to home in LMU, the, just the basketball picture in terms of competing and how crowded the backcourts were. I probably would have put Bazoo last, <laughs> uh, but goes to show you, uh, you know, you never know when it comes to these situations. And, and so good for Drew Bugs, right? He's going to go play in the SEC. Uh, I wish him the best. Uh, uh, who knows what it's going to shake out to be with that team, right? I think they were a game under 500 this year at Missouri. Uh, I thought maybe he would have ended up in the West Coast Conference or maybe even in the Big 12 uh, which is probably a better basketball conference than the SEC is. But, uh, you know, at, at Missouri, he he could break through. It, it could be a, a team that's rebuilding. They're bringing in some influx of transfer transfers athletes. And, and so I, I was a bit surprised that it was Missouri. But uh, of the three, I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he will be missed. We talked about it on the last episode. So I just wanted to sort of close the deal uh, on that. You know, what was also surprising is over on the Rainbow Wahine basketball side, uh, we weren't as privy to some of the transfer stories potentially there, but it was announced that Lauren Ruers, their big 6'4 post player, uh, has decided to transfer to Michigan State. So you have Drew Bugs from the men's side going to the SEC and playing for Missouri, and now you have Lauren Ruers who's making the move to go and play in the Big Ten for Michigan State. And that one came a little bit more out of nowhere, at least it hadn't been really covered in the same way. And so uh, Hawaii on both sides, uh, losing a couple of good ones. Yeah, to, to some pretty big-time programs, right? I mean, the Big Ten, the SEC, Missouri, Michigan State, they're developing players at the University of Hawaii, right? Coming out of high school, I don't think Lauren or Drew were necessarily bound for Power Five conferences, but after time at the University of Hawaii. So I think there is something to be said for that in Laura Beeman's squad on the Wahine side and, and obviously Aran Ganad on the men's side, that they have developed some of these players into – prospects that uh, you know you don't want to see them get scooped up by the power five but that's just the reality of college athletics right now uh, so that I think that, that that showed that they can develop some of these underrated high school prospects once they get them to Monon. Uh, all right we're going to get into our Domino's Hawaii main topping subject and that is going to be our discussion with Rich Miano that's right we thank Domino's Hawaii for jumping on as the title sponsor we are going to get into it with Rich Miano our resident football guru uh, an analyst for Spectrum Sports and Spectrum OC16, executive director of the Hula Bowl, played over a decade in the NFL. So let's go to that right now. So let's start with Cole and your observations. I know you've been uh, talking at length with him throughout this process. You have maintained a connection with him and the family. Your thoughts on the landing spot that is Tennessee? I think it could be an excellent landing uh, opportunity for Cole because when you look at a Ryan Tannehill, even a Marcus Mariota, their past quarterback, you see athleticism, you see some perimeter type of runs by the quarterback. You also see rollouts and dashes and, and waggle type of activity by their quarterback. So you're drafting a similar type of athletic quarterback. I think this will be good for Cole to uh, really learn from not maybe a, a huge vested veteran, but a guy that has played in this league, a guy that uh, I think is a solid quarterback, but by no means is this job not going to be available if Ryan Tannehill struggles, if Cole McDonald can show the type of uh, qualities that they want in uh, a quarterback. But I think he also is good for the quarterback room, and I think that's really important as well because Cole McDonald is going to work hard. He's going to uh, be on the practice field first, leave last, uh, do all the off-season conditioning stuff, and I think in general be a good teammate. 
Yeah, because for him, the main challenge now is just to make the team. He just needs to get a roster spot. What do you think he has within his arsenal to be able to convince the powers that be there in Tennessee that he's a guy they need to hang on to? I think the main thing is good decision-making. You know, he's going to get an opportunity and, you know, some obviously some preseason games and obviously in practices, and they have inter-squad scrimmages now in the National Football League. And to, to make good decisions, uh, even in seven-on-seven, seven, even in team, uh, you know, whether it's two-minute drill, to not throw the ball to the opponent. And that's one mark against him. Obviously, earlier in this season, he struggled with some uh, decision-making. I think if he can tighten up his release a little bit from a technical standpoint, make good decisions, be a good teammate, and be a guy that works extremely hard, he'll have a great opportunity to make this football team. Yeah, and Rich, uh, when you circle to some of the other guys – Coming out of the University of Hawaii, nobody else drafted, uh, of course, Cole going in the seventh round. But you look at a guy like Ro Ferris at corner, signed as an undrafted free agent with the Falcons. JoJo Ward's going to get a shot as an undrafted free agent with the Cardinals. Uh, what do you make of those guys' opportunities and the likelihood that, that they can stick with one of these teams? You know, it's interesting. And, you know, statistics are what they are, but there are more guys in the Hall of Fame actually as undrafted free agents than there are as first round draft picks. So when you, you think about the amount, I think it's somewhere around 19% of free agents make the National Football League somewhere in that uh, area. I think Roe Ferris is a guy that started three years. I think he has length. I think he has intelligence. I think he's well coached. I think he's pretty competitive. So I, I think he's a guy that um, if he was playing for you know, uh, LSU or Auburn or some of these other schools. And I think he can play at that level. Um, I think that uh, he would have been drafted. I think if the University of Hawaii would have had a pro day, he would have been drafted. I, I think there's a lot of uh, missed opportunities for a guy like Roe Ferris, the logistics, the no pro day. Um, I, I think he'll get into a camp. He'll impress some people. He's a great young man. He's a great kid. He's got length. He's got some quickness, some speed. And he maybe has some position versatility to play safety based upon his size. And then a guy like JoJo Ward, who undersized wide out in that offensive system for the University of Hawaii, was, was very, very productive. And, and we know that. But what do you make of his role what kind of specific niche he can carve out uh, as a receiver at the NFL level well you know he's obviously not as tall as you'd want he does have some linear speed that you're looking for he's going to have to be more consistent with catching the football um, and then it's a whole different route tree it's a whole different offense he's going to have to really get cerebral uh, real quickly in terms of learning the offense and then you know with the new CBA there is a larger practice squad so a guy like this has to have a great attitude, has, has to be willing to get out there with the quarterbacks and, and be able to run routes and, and uh, return kicks or punts or uh, do as many things as, as possible for them to want to maybe keep him as a practice squad player. I don't see him making a regular roster, but I do see another great kid, another kid that's going to give you great effort and another guy that's uh, good for the locker room. Uh, one of the more head-scratching aspects of the draft was as it pertained to Kahuku and Utah defensive end slash linebacker Bradley Anai, who was selected by the Cowboys, but not until the last pick of the fifth round. I mean, this is a guy who was prolific in his college career. Why in a situation like this do you see guys like that who have all these accolades, who have obvious talent and obvious instincts for the game, how do you explain and account for a guy like that dropping in that way? 
you know, th this, you could do a thesis on this. This is one of those deals where it's a stereotypical type of uh, uh, thing where Bradley and I does not run a great 40 time, a 4.9. But you turn on the film and he beats the offensive tackle from the USC Trojans who was drafted in the first round. He's beaten every offensive tackle in the Pac-12. He's played at the highest level. He's made tremendous plays in the backfield, whether it's sacks and tackles for losses. He's just a football player. And, you know, again, scouts get tied up in 40-yard dash times and in some of the uh, height and, and size things that may not be exactly what you're looking for in terms of length. But you talk about a pure football player. You know, I've, I've read, I've heard, I've talked to people. He had a potentially a second round grade and then he goes to maybe the combine and doesn't run a great 40 time and then all of a sudden he slides in the draft I, I don't really understand it I think he's the kind of guy that is going to get there and it's going to be the second contract where he makes his money I think he's more productive than a Kamale Correa uh, uh, Oli uh, Kikaha even a you know David Vaikuni who was drafted in the second round I think this guy is probably the best player out of those four players and I think he will stick in the National Football League and have a very good career yeah so ends up being potentially one of those steel type picks uh, within the construct of the NFL draft. Uh, and that kind of got the dominoes falling for the players from Hawaii, right? Within eight spots, three players from the islands were then picked, starting with Anai. Two picks later, it was former Lelehua standout Fresno State guard Netani Muti, uh, who was taken by the Broncos in the sixth round, 181st overall. And then you had another Kahuku alum uh, out of Notre Dame and initially Navy safety uh, Alohi Gilman taken 186th overall in the sixth round. What kind of players would you describe Muti and Gilman to be? Muti is a road grader. I mean, very physical. Obviously, the uh, strongest guy at the Combine this year, one of the strongest players in college football in, in the past few years. It was the injury bug with him. And, and again, a little bit maybe stereotyping on some of the lack of really length, uh, maybe having the shorter arms than you – they think you need I mean it's it's crazy when they look for the negatives but there was a negative in terms of can he stay healthy because when he is healthy he's one of the most physical guys in all of college football on that offensive line kind of a Quentin Nelson big Q you know you watch that kid play football because you know he's going to create havoc he's particularly good in the run game and he'll get better in terms of the uh, his pass sets and, and pass protection and I think he could be a solid pro for many years. Yeah, Rich, uh, we had a guy, uh, Brandon Fejolko, another local kid, uh, a Pula Bowl alum as well, uh, after coming off his national championship with LSU. He's an undrafted free agent. He signs with the Chargers. Um, what, what do you make uh, of his chances to, to stick in the league uh, as an undrafted free agent off a defense that saw a ton of guys get picked this past weekend? Yeah, 14 draft picks, I think four or five free agents. I mean, even the punter. Um, yeah, LSU, you know, to, and people, we had two offensive linemen in the hula bowl as well from LSU, and they both got free agent contracts. I mean, and they weren't even starters. When you look at that squad and you look at the depth and you look at the athleticism, the fact that Braden Fahoku was holding the point of attack and, and has such a great attitude, such a great worker, such a great disposition, you know, he's going to get into camp and it, all it takes is for his defensive line coach or the head coach or the defensive coordinator 
point A, they take a liking to this kid. And what's not to like? He's going to be, again, one of the hardest working guys at practice. His passion for the game, his physicality, um, you know, continue to work on his hands in terms of, you know, getting upfield and passing situations. But I think, you know, he's a first and second down player. And another guy that you just want on your team, you just want in that defensive line room. And because he'll make everybody else work harder and, and just have a good time. And that's part of playing football. So I, I like Braden Fahoku, obviously, Billy, Linda, the whole family. I remember when he was just a little grom, and now here he is, a big, uh, strong man, ready to the ent enter the NFL. And you got to hope for guys like that, because not only his social media presence, but his love for Hawaii and Polynesia, I think it goes a long way towards him being a great role model for our youth. Yeah, without a doubt, of course, we wanted to focus in on a, a lot of the Hawaii aspect of the draft of course the the headliner was Tua Tungavailoa and and there's been a lot of conversation about him and and so we kind of bring him up uh after the fact if you will but uh the Dolphins in, in that match what did you make of the the landing spot for Tua really not a ton of drama as that first round unfolded uh but where Tungavailoa gets to go play his initial professional ball well you know that whole tanking for Tua stuff was obviously media created but at the same time you know, the, the Dolphins won a few games and, and finished strong and, and had all those draft picks and, and seems like heading in the right direction. And I, I thought it was wonderful, not just the fact that, you know, the state of Florida, you don't have to pay any taxes. It's a beautiful place to live. Um, it, you know, there's some similar qualities to, you know, Hawaii in terms of beaches and beauty and weather. But I think more importantly than that, I was hoping he would land in Miami for the sole purpose of being behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is one of, you know, the vested type of veterans, a guy that has a tremendous IQ, a guy that's been around to, I don't know, five or six different teams and understands offense is probably as good as any quarterback. Uh, you know, so for Tua to be with Ryan Fitzpatrick and learn and, and have a veteran, just in case there's some health issues, and I don't think there will be, uh, just in case that they want to break Tua in slowly, which is all, always a good thing, game four, game six, game eight, not rush the, you know, the, the, the star rookie to uh, start necessarily the first game of the National Football League season. I think those are good things, and I, and I think it's a wonderful uh, landing spot. They've got some receivers coming in there. They've got some uh, talent around him. They're trying to build, obviously, the offensive line around him. Tua is a, a, a one-name legend. He already has more commercials. He's going to continue to have those commercials. His effervescence, his uh, persona is going to uh, just be great for that franchise to sell tickets and hopefully win championships. When you look at Tua, what are some of the things you would like to see him improve with regard to his game at the professional level? Uh, really, it's it's making good decisions when to get out of bounds, when to get down, and you know, hook slide, when to you know keep himself out of danger. Because, you know, people in this draft and these all these pundits and draft experts talking about, they you know, even Nick Saban said he reminds him of Drew Brees because in terms of any player that Nick has ever coached again in college. Well, that's a terrific, terrific comparison because to me, Drew Brees is one of the obviously first ballot. Hall of Fame type of guys who's as good as throwing the ball, as accurate as throwing the ball, can move in the pocket, whatever else. But to me, he reminds me of more of a Russell Wilson 
in terms of athleticism because I think he's more athletic than Drew Brees. Now, will he, will he get that athleticism back in year one or six months after this surgery? But eventually he has the ability to not only make you miss, to set you in the open field, to run away from, not run away from defensive backs, but to really uh, not only extend plays, but to get some explosive plays in the scramble game as well as uh, the quarterback run game. But the main thing that Tua has to do is just stay healthy because when you talk about accuracy, when you talk about the way the ball spins out of his hands, when you talk about decision-making, the quick release, all of those things, I mean, he's way up there already in terms of you're not going to have to change mechanics. You're not going to have to change the ability to, you know, go through his progression and all those type of things. And he's a smart football player as well. Now, what's interesting is Hawaii players, the players from the islands, tend to live up to a certain reputation. And uh, a guy like Alohi Gilman just seems to embody that, right? He gets taken by the Chargers in the sixth round. But this is a guy who doesn't necessarily dazzle everybody with his speed. He doesn't have some of the natural athletic gifts that other prospects, particularly at that position, have. He ran a 4.640 at the Combine. We mentioned his 169 tackles the last two seasons at Notre Dame. Uh, but how does he fit into the reputation that island football players seem to have here uh, as has been created over time? Yeah, you know, you can go out to the North Shore and whether it's Lea Park, you know, during th the Thanksgiving stuff where parents are playing in all different age groups. And then, you know, the, 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 the amount of passion to play football when you watch a Kahuku high school practice or even some of the big boys and, and it carries on to the at the college level and then hopefully into the National Football League is, uh, again, the, the passion that he has for this game, uh, his technique in terms of, you know, I remember watching Ronnie Lott when I played, and I'm not saying he's Ronnie Lott physically, or I'm not even saying it, he's at that point of uh, the, the mental game yet, but he's moving quicker than the guy next to him. You know, whether he runs a 4.65 or whatever, you know, you want to say his time was at the combine, he plays faster. When, when the ball's in the air, you know, a lot of the guys are content with, you know, guarding the upfield shoulder and knocking the ball down. He's more content with coming through the reception area and making the interception, knocking the ball out, you know, causing fumbles, recovering fumbles, always being around the football. You know, I don't think he starts right away, but I think he plays special teams. I, I think the fans of uh, Los Angeles, the Chargers are going to love him. I mean, you can see his social media presence already and the fact that, you know, how, how the family and the whole community, uh, I think Aloy Gilman is going to be one of those guys that when you watch a Chargers game, you know, especially if you live in the state of Hawaii, you're looking for him playing and you're looking for him contributing. Yeah, Rich, what about the the fact that he is a defensive back, right? And, and Kanoa talked a, a bit and touched on the the legacy of, of island football players, right? And, and so much of that is built on on the shoulders of how many linemen offensively and defensively Hawaii has produced linebackers, if you will, right close to the ball, close to the line of scrimmage type players. But the fact that Yeoman is, is a defensive back, something that, that you know about playing in the NFL, uh, a little bit more of the rarity and, and sh continuing to show that Hawaii is much more than just the big boys. I think that's huge, Jordan, for the future of recruiting in the state of Hawaii. And, uh, you know, Jarner Sua, who's, you know, 
obviously grown up here in Hawaii and, and we consider him uh, Hawaiian and, and, and local, um, has been big at the wide receiver position. But you're right. When's the last time there's been a defensive back? You know, when you turn on football, you know, you're seeing Marcus and Tua and hopefully Jordan Ta'umu and, and those type of quarterbacks. And so now you're hearing their name called on television on a regular basis. But for years, you know, it was offensive and defensive linemen. And to have a defensive back, and that's what I talked to Alohi about, is like you're representing a different position, almost a stereotypical position where people are going to think you can't play because you're from the islands and because you didn't run a 4-4 and all these other things. So I think he uh, carries that on his shoulders, and there's some weight on his shoulders, but it almost seems like he has a huge chip on his shoulder as well. Like he was drafted later than he expected. The reason why he left Navy and went to Notre Dame because he wanted to show he could play at the highest level in college football. And now I know that guy wants to show he can play in the NFL and make all of us ex uh, defensive backs proud. And with the unknown for, for all of these guys, and no matter whether it's Tua at quarterback or, or any of these other position players that, w that we've talked about, uh, what's the, the, the challenge of, of not really knowing when you can get in the building now with just the way things are going with COVID? Uh, and how much more difficult does that make it for these rookies uh, to try and catch up, to try and get up to the level of, of these veterans and go fight for jobs? Yeah, it was interesting that they said Joe Burrows already knows the Cincinnati playbook because he's had it for a couple of months uh, after the draft. So, you know, these guys will get that playbook. These guys will figure out how to work out. These guys will fi find safe places. Um, but you're right. It's more of a virtual experience. You know, they'll be on Zoom with their coaches. They'll be getting their electronic playbooks. They'll be getting all of those things. But how do you find wide receivers that live in the same area as you? Can you go to a place and work out in a public park or, you you know, finding the facilities to get with uh, these quarterbacks and receivers and other defensive backs to do your drills and to continue to try to become a professional. We, we're living in a whole different world. And, you know, the best news I think that came out this past week that it seems like most of the NBA teams will be getting back to work soon in terms of practicing and hopefully we'll have playoffs. But, you know, there's still question whether the NFL will open up with fans in the stands and, and all of these other things. So, we're, 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 you know, we're, we're charting this unknown territory and it started with the draft and now it's going to these uh, summer conditioning programs before they actually go to training camp. And will training camp be the same? And, and I'm not sure that will be the same either, although I think we'll have training camps and everybody will get their temperature measured and take a swab and do all these other things and isolate anybody that does have the virus and, you know, continue to work towards having a season. And uh, I thought the draft was wonderful and hopefully they'll carry over some of the aspects of that to the following season but who knows what's going to take place from week to week well while we're on that topic uh, you are an analyst for college football as well and there are a lot of questions mountain west commissioner craig thompson addressed some of them and shared concerns about how realistic it might be to anticipate college football starting on time or in its familiar form uh, what is your take on that? Obviously, we don't know. We're still gathering information. But what do you think we should be prepared for as it pertains to the college football season? I think, you you know, I, I tweeted this out, and I still firmly believe that by the end of the NFL season, hopefully we'll see full stadiums and playoffs and Super Bowls. But I think college football has a, a big chance, as well as high school football, to be pushed to the spring. And it's only because you're talking about 
you know, 50 different governors, you know, not every sport plays football. Well, Alaska does in high school, but not in college. But you're talking about all of them being on the same page. You already had a president from the University of Arizona saying there will not be football in the fall. So all it takes is a few of these uh, states and governors to not allow events with fans. And I think if you don't have events with fans, you could still legitimately have SEC football because the television money is big enough to carry them through to the next year. But some of these non-Power 5 conferences and especially high school football, the ancillary income, whether it's from attendance, whether that's from concessions, whether that's from parking, whether that's from uh, selling merchandise, they need that to play this game of football that's so expensive to put on because based upon the numbers and the traveling and all the other logistical things. So we could have a season where the actual college football season, high school football season is in the spring. And if it's not, if we don't have, you know, 50 states that are fully working by the spring, I mean, we have bigger problems than football. You're right. And, and at least within the confines of the game of football, you push the college season back, then that has implications on next year's NFL draft the next year's NFL training camp. And so it could just become this domino-like effect moving forward as well. Uh, speaking of the draft, uh, you uh, went through this process before, back in 1985, a sixth-round pick of the New York Jets. What was that experience like? What do you recall from that? And if you were to pass on some advice to the newly drafted players uh, here this past weekend, uh, what would that be? Well, you know, I, I obviously had an agent and I, you know, he was telling me I was going to get drafted between the fourth and eighth round. Back in those days, there were 12 rounds, you know, and, and it was very similar to this year's draft where it wasn't held, you know, in Las Vegas at the Bellagio is basically uh, the commissioner was probably sleeping by that time. And some random NFL guy would call you and say you got drafted and then you get on the phone with one of your coaches and it was a landline back in 1985 and my mother I remember my father and my sister and we were in my apartment that I was renting at the University of Hawaii on my senior year and we waited for that call and when you got that call I mean you talk about anxiety you talk about elation you talk about changing you know my life and so many other people's life I mean it's like watching who wants to be a millionaire, you know, and all of a sudden you see the demographics of uh, the socioeconomics of these kids. And, and sometimes then you, it was great watching the stories of, you know, whether it was a father committing suicide or a brother getting struck by lightning or all of the, that stuff. I thought it was wonderfully done. Um, and, and realizing now that these guys have a chance, a lot of them to provide not only for them but the next generation so it, it's a wonderful event I know it was watched by you know more people than I think by 37 percent in the history of the draft and part of that is because of the quarantine but part of it is the production and I think it was a wonderful three days for all of us to watch and I, and I know my family and I enjoyed it but uh it did take me back 20 years ago a day that changed my life yeah, and Rich, you know, for, for these guys, and I know you, you do a lot of mentoring as part of all the different hats that you wear uh, these days, but as you get to talk to some of these prospects, and, and I know you mentioned talking to, to Alohi, but what's the, what's the advice that, that you would provide for, for some of these guys, uh, you know, who, who kind of fall all over the spectrum, the number five pick overall, all the way to the guys who are trying to make it as undrafted free agents? 
Yeah, Jordan, you know, one of those hats that I'm wearing now is the executive director for the Hula Bowl. So right now we're at two draft picks and over 40 free agents. So almost half of the players in that game that, you, and I'm not patronizing you and Kanoa, so wonderfully broadcast, are going to get an opportunity to play the NFL, as well as the guys we mentioned, JoJo Ward and Roe Ferris, guys that, you know, I'm fairly close to. Um, yeah, my, my thing to those guys is be be a professional and you know it, all it takes is some defensive back coach some defensive coordinator some head coach some someone in that organization to really take a liking for you and that could change your livelihood you know my story is one of like disney like in terms of i got cut on the last day flew back to hawaii got picked up the next day flew back to and two weeks later i was leading the american football conference in interceptions with two and so and then i ended up playing 11 years so you know, it's never over till it's over. And this is a dream of yours. So if it's a dream, you must work harder than you ever have. And you got to work smarter than you ever have because it's a whole different uh, type of deal when you're a professional football player versus a college football player. Yeah, one of those Hula Bowl alums, uh, offensive lineman Lachavius Simmons, a Bears seventh-round draft pick for, for my team, uh, the Chicago Bears. So that was fun to see. Uh, Rich, I was just kind of curious – uh, before we get out of here uh, on a more broad scale, just what you thought of the draft in terms of some of the teams that did well. I know you, you're obviously paying close attention to the Eagles and the Jets, your your former teams, and then, of course, the New England Patriots, uh, which you're a fan of. But what do you think of some of the maneuvering by some of these teams that, that you had a keen eye toward? Well, you know, I was kind of shocked that the Patriots didn't draft any receivers. Obviously, the controversy with their kicker, you know, taking that obscure safety uh, that probably nobody had rated more than a, I don't know, fourth-round draft pick, although he played in the senior bowl. I thought Belichick, again, is a genius. It's hard to question somebody like that. But, you know, now I'm a Tampa Bay fan because of Brady, and I love the fact that <laughs> they surrounded him with another receiver, a couple offensive linemen. Uh, you know, me and my son vacillate on who we going to cheer for more, you know, with Gronkowski there now, too. So, you know, it, it, you do have allegiances to where I grew up, but I also have allegiance to Tom Brady. And uh, so that's a team. And then one of my favorite teams now is the 49ers, based upon the fact that my son and I got to see a game and we got to see it up close and personal with the escort of Jesse Sapolu and, uh, you know, the, the proximity. So they just basically lost a couple players to free agency. They replaced them with great players in early rounds. I really do think that, that Lynch and Shanahan are building something special there. They're fun to watch. So I'm really impressed with the 49ers. Uh, and uh, obviously there were some other great dra draft uh, as well. And um, obviously I think the Dolphins have built some athletes and acquired some free agents. And, you know, we're all going to be big fans of the Dolphins now with Tua. It's amazing how all of your favorite teams are in Super Bowl contention. Like, what a cool win! Besides the Dolphins, Rich. don't go there. Don't go there, bro. <laughs> My son says, what's your favorite team? I say the Golden State Warriors. He goes, well, how did that happen? Yeah, I think we all know how that happened. <laughs> all right. Hey, uh, Rich Miano, it is always a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, we have been biding our time for a chance to get you on the podcast. This timing was perfect as uh, this was the episode that followed up the draft. Uh, and we look forward to talking with you again. Always a pleasure. You're our resident football guru, man. Appreciate it, my brothers. <laughs> Have a good one, man. All right. Thanks once again to Rich Miano for jumping on with us. It just feels normal, right? I mean, this podcast experience is still relatively new for us, Jordan. Uh, and there is certainly something comforting about having Rich Miano on to talk football. It's like, oh, okay, this is life as we once knew it. Yes, very much a comforting voice. Uh, a sense of reality when it comes down to it. Uh, and Rich always brings it.
All right, so let's get to our best and worst. This is the post-game portion of the podcast. Uh, we like to start with the bad news before the good news. So what is your worst for this episode, Jordan? Yeah, nothing too harsh. Uh, but I, I will say, and after Thursday's first round, I really enjoyed the, the broadcast elements. I thought ESPN and all their partners, NFL, NFL Network, did a, a really good job, all things considered, right, with, with all the circumstances and doing it remotely, uh, the Zoom draft, as people are calling it. Uh, but I did feel a little bogged down by all of, and I get a Trey Wingo, right? He's diving into to everybody's uh, biography, and he's bringing it when it comes to the background information. But there was just a lot of gloom. Like, there, were, there was a lot of, it, it seemed like everybody's toughest moments in their lives as a draft prospect um, was shared. Right. And I get it. Right. You're trying to build a narrative and, and a, a death in the family, a death of a loved one or something like that. It is a very relevant part of a, a young man's story. Right. Coming back from adversity, rebounding, showing a lot of perseverance. But there there was just a lot of it like there, there was. And some of them I, I totally understand. But it seemed like it was every draft pick, like every guy. And, and maybe it was just a, a weird year where a lot of these guys had stories such as that. But it just. It was a lot at times, and I, I, was, I was just so pumped for the draft. And, and I'm not even really faulting like ESPN and Trey Wingo, and I get it, but it, it just seemed like there was more of it than normal. I don't know what it was, uh, but it was just a, a, little bit of a little bit of a downer at times. It's like, man, yeah, that's, uh, that's rough. But, uh, you know, you kind of want to hear some of the more upbeat stuff. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult balance, and, and being in the broadcast – business as you and I are I, I you're telling stories right of these individuals and so I I I empathized with the broadcasters and trying to find that balance but it was just it just seemed like a lot yeah I think a lot of it is the way you inform the viewers of these background story details right and ESPN actually issued an apology for T Higgins a graphic that included detailing his mother's uh, drug addiction. So they apologized to Higgins and, and sort of apologized to everybody saying that, you know, maybe that was in poor taste. And again, it's all in the presentation of that. If it's a feature story uh, and Tom Rinaldi is voicing it and you're talking about some of the hardships that these players and their families have gone through, that's one thing. But to sort of bullet point it like the back of a baseball card seems to trivialize it a little bit. And I don't think gives it proper context. And I think that's where you run into some difficulty. It's like, Oh, he loves SpongeBob SquarePants. And then the detail below that is, Oh, and you know, he lost a brother in a car accident or something. And that just doesn't vibe and, and doesn't quite jive. And I, I think that that's probably something that uh, in the future ESPN will look at. It's all in the way you tell those stories. Uh, all right, let's uh, get to my worst, and that's uh, Draymond Green. How many times will Draymond Green be in my worst category <laughs> as this podcast uh, ages? Well, in an interview on All the Smoke, which is a much more popular podcast than ours, featuring Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes, uh, he says that us three changed basketball forever. That was the exact quote, and he's talking about the impact of him Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, the impact they all had on the game of basketball. And there's no denying the Golden State Warriors changed basketball in its modern form in a way that we have rarely seen. 
but I don't know if we should give Draymond Green equal footing in that evolution of the game. I liken it to a guy that scored a bucket in Wilt's 100-point game and is telling people, like, yeah, Wilt and I combined for 102 points that night. It was legendary. (laughs) It's like, all right, like, we get it. You got to kind of know your role, Draymond, because that's Steph and Clay changing the game, two of maybe the greatest shooters we've ever seen, and Draymond, who without them uh, would be a lesser form of Paul Millsap or something, I think. Yeah, much lesser form of Paul Millsap (laughs) in a lot of ways, right? The the multi-skilled, undersized forward. Uh, it, I just I just crack up, and I think it, it very much almost kind of aligns with Sunday's last dance because we talk about Dennis Rodman as this like unbelievable undersized rebounder, right? It's not like Draymond's the first guy to do that, and I wouldn't even put him in the same category as Rodman as a rebounder. And then even if he wants to talk about like you know he revolutionized, he's he's running the offense. They run the offense through him, right, to free up Steph and Clay. These shooters like. Then they just talked about Scotty like inventing the point forward position, you know, and it's Scotty Pippen in his days. So it's like, come on, Dre. Come on, Draymond. It's you didn't change anything. Again, it's not like Draymond is terrible. He's not garbage. He's not trash. Uh, but he tries to keep propping himself up to Charles Barkley. Come on now. Come on now. Stephen Clay, game changers for sure. The way they shoot the basketball, the way they stretch the floor, the two different ways they shoot the basketball as well. But yeah, Draymond no. All right, let's get to our bests. What's your best? Yeah, my best was just the weekend, the weekend that was. Uh, it has been a long time since we've kind of strung together sports. Uh, and I think this was the longest stretch since the country shut down, right? We had three straight days of the NFL draft followed up by a Sunday of the last dance, which has become must-see event appointment television. Uh, and it just felt nice. It felt nice that there were never before seen, if you will, and I get it, The Last Dance isn't necessarily live uh, in that sense, but uh, like live sports programming for four straight days. I felt, it felt nice. It was just, it was a breath of fresh air and I, I already miss it. Yeah. All right. My best is, I totally agree, by the way, too. My best is Aaron Gordon, uh, who dropped a diss track against Dwayne Wade called Nine Out of Ten. And this is like, you talk about pettiness in the modern era of sports, Uh, as well as just holding a grudge for an extended period of time. This is referencing the dunk contest during the All-Star break, where D. Wade gave Aaron Gordon a 9 following his dunk over 7-5 taco fall, which was extraordinary. And it cost him the dunk contest, which went to the Miami Heat's Derrick Jones Jr. And so everyone was sort of assuming, all right, the fix was in on D. Wade's part. D. Wade kind of had that sly smirk uh, when the scores were being announced there. Uh, And it's not as though Aaron Gordon is just uh, letting it go. It cost him a million bucks, and so he put together a diss track. Uh, You can check it out on social media uh, where he's basically drinking a bottle of Dwayne Wade wine, like the D. Wade Cellars wine, uh, and then whining a little bit about the nine out of 10. And I put it in my best category because you know me, I love a good beef between pro athletes. I just love to see that kind of beef at that high of a level. And D Wade had an all time response on Twitter where basically he retweeted the diss track and said, he should trademark nine out of 10, make some money off of it. That's free advice that I won't charge him for, you know, since I cost him a mill. And then he throws in, by the way, that D Wade sellers wine looked fire right you know at the end of the day too aaron gordon's probably right he probably should have two dunk contest titles he did it's crazy that he has zero yeah that is pretty crazy it's absurd 
All right, don't forget to uh, hit us up on Twitter, at Canola, at Jordan Helly, or at TalkSports808. And also check out our LTS Quick Snaps episode on episodes three and four of The Last Dance. All right, Jordan, it's been fun, man. We'll do it again soon. Can't wait.